It is uh, that time of year where we're talking about missions. Um, the alabaster offering will be next week. And, you know, I know that you guys, um, some of you are familiar with the alabaster offering, but it's an offering that you can see is given to buildings. Uh, one of the things that we love about alabaster offering is all that's given goes straight to uh, mission, the buildings for missions needs. So we're just uh, happy to be a part of that. So next Sunday, if you have an alabaster offering, bring it with you. I know that uh, years ago it was encouraged. Change isn't quite as big as it used to be. <laughs> Not everybody has change all the time. But uh, it used to be that uh, we would have, a, and we still do, we have the boxes. You can take one home and over the course of the year or however, fill those boxes up with the coins that you find around and then bring those back. That's um, traditionally what we've done with the alabaster offering. But uh, if you're like me, a couple of things happen. You probably don't carry a lot of change. And uh, when you have change, your kids take it. So <laughs> we're, we're working through that. I uh, also want to let you know that we just came through Faith Promise last weekend. Very excited about that. It was a good time. I have to look at the number here. Uh, $52,250 was uh, what is going to be given. You guys have made that happen. So thank you so much. Um, now it's just uh, by faith, following through with the promise you made through the year, right? And then uh, if you missed the opportunity, you're like, oh, I forgot, I didn't do. Or maybe you last week thought, you know, I need to pray about this for a little while. Um, the opportunity still exists for you to be able to give to that. When you uh, go out today, there will be some of the forms out on the table, the coffee table that you can uh, stop by and check that out, maybe fill one of those out and we can make that go up even more. And it's, it's all going towards missions and different kinds of missions. And we'll talk about them throughout the year, world mission broadcast, um, the uh, faith, uh, the uh, mission, missionaries themselves across the mission field, just all different ways. Our links, mission, there's all different missions and missionaries that we give to, but um, we love it. We love being a part of that. I love being a part of a church that believes in missions. So uh, thank you for all of that. And then, man, big week this week with Ash Wednesday happening. Every year we have an Ash Wednesday service. You can uh, Wednesday evening come up here and we're going to have a time together, prayer, um, thinking about leading into the time that Jesus was crucified. I don't know if you, um, in fact, I would say do this through the next uh, several weeks. Ash Wednesday marks, um, I believe it's 42 days leading up to uh, Easter. Um, take that time and read through the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just think about all the things that Jesus did and who he was and, and the life that he lived and how he showed us to live. So uh, it'll be a good time to do that. And we had uh, Jerry Porter with us last week. And so we took a little break. Uh, today, we're going to get back. I feel like I'm monotone speaking. Am I doing that? I apologize. So just saw a big yawn. Okay. <clears throat> let's, <laughs> let's fix it up. <laughs> so, uh, hey, we're going to get back into Ephesians. Now, uh, one of the things that I love about Ephesians is how clearly it articulates what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And uh, Paul really is channeling the Holy Spirit and giving to us all of the things. Jesus taught so many things in his life. And then Paul really helps us understand even deeper what Jesus was saying. So last week we took a little break. We're going to get back on it this week in Ephesians. So uh, remember, and we've said this quite often that we want to be a church committed to an inward journey of spiritual practices and an outward journey of missional engagement. 
Inward journey of spiritual practices, outward journey of missional engagement, which will help us be a church that loves like Jesus so lives are changed. And I was thinking about that statement. I was, um, it's something that, it's not unique to me. It's something that I've uh, kind of put together as I've been reading recently, but um, an inward journey of spiritual practices, an outward journey of missional engagement. And it was years ago that people started talking about the, the phrase that um, it's God and others. You remember that? God and others. And that's kind of what we're doing still. We're, we're focusing on this spiritual journey, this growth that we can experience in Jesus Christ. And um, then we're putting that into practice. And it's, it's about loving other people and helping other people. So um, last week we talked about the idea of two kingdoms that are at play in our world. The Bible explains that they're at work among us and they couldn't be more different. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. The, a community of liberation and a community of enslavement. I saw, a, um, read something this last week, a, a guy called it the kingdom of God. And, you know, we wrestle with the idea of kingdom. I guess after everything that's happened with uh, newly crowned king and all that, everybody's thought a little bit more about what kingdom means. But uh, somebody said that it's more like uh, they, they would rather call it the liberation community like it, it's a community of believers that Jesus has set free so uh, the kingdom of God but it's different from the kingdom of this world it is the difference between liberation and enslavement between honesty and deceit uh, Jesus speaks of it and we talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago in Matthew that it's like a shepherd who's separating the sheep from the goats and uh, Matthew, or Matthew records Jesus saying it this way. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Two separate kingdoms. And as I'm reading that scripture, I'm reminded that the notes for today's message are in the, uh, the church app. So make sure you go there, find those notes. There's always... Um, Scripture that I reference, sometimes we don't have to read on the screen, but it is listed in that app there. The sad reality, and here's, here's what we need to really focus in on and to try to understand. Here's the sad reality. There are many people today who think that they're going to go to heaven and they're not. And somehow people believe that all you have to do is say a prayer and then you make it. Everything's good. But for Jesus, it's more than that. It's not just saying a prayer. It's Jesus' message was a call to repentance. And this is actually another one of the things that we were talking about this morning in, in the, the time of prayer, which uh, because of my Sunday mornings, I'm not, I can't spend a lot of time, but um, I was in there for 10 or 15 minutes. And it's just... I would encourage you, if you're not doing anything and you're not in a Sunday school class at 9.40, or maybe bring your Sunday school class at 9.45 sometime, come in here and just spend some time praying together because we're seeking the Holy Spirit and, and we want what God has for us. But we talked about this morning, Richie did, that it's about repenting, repenting of what's in our life. And, and repentance is turning our back towards what was, you know, going one direction and then turning our back on that and going a different direction. It's giving up. A f it's a former thought. It's a former way of life. It's, it's turning your back on. So when we repent, not only do we say we know we did these things wrong, but we turn our back on it. 
and we move in a different direction. That's the call to repentance. And in a little while, we'll read Paul talking about it's like taking off the old self and putting on the new. That's how Paul describes it. I don't know if we'll continue to say this, but perhaps it needs to be repeated often though. People ask, can I be assured of my salvation? And the answer is yes. Resoundingly, yes, you can. The evidence of our salvation is, is in how we live our lives. The way you live your life is the evidence of your salvation, who you are. And this is why I think we've done a disservice as the church in general, the capital C church, people think or somehow have come to believe that if I say a prayer, I get to go to heaven. And then they're always like, oh, did I say the prayer right? Have I messed up? Since I said the prayer, uh, am I going to get, listen, you can be sure of your salvation if you have repented and you've turned your back on that old way life. If you've taken off the old self and put on Jesus, then yes, there is assurance there. Also, I think that idea comes from in the United States especially, we have this idea that if we just do enough good, if I do more good than bad, the, the scale will be tipped in my favor and I get to go to heaven. In actuality, the scale could be entirely tipped in not your favor. And you give your life to Jesus and change your back on, turn your back against the old way of life. If you've done that and repented and are moving towards him, then you get to be with Jesus. And the cool thing about it is he's, it's not a wait until you die. It is a let's get started right now. The kingdom now and when we die. It's like we, we get to do it. Anyway, I'm this way off my notes here. I just, I love talking about this because I just want people to know that you can be sure of your salvation. You can know as a follower of Jesus through the way you live your life. And if you have to question that in your heart, then there's a deeper issue at work there. All right, so Christians are different because we think differently. We behave differently. Paul says that our minds are being renewed. It's, it's just different. This is the message that Paul's trying to help the Ephesians understand that it's changing your thought patterns and who you are. And so we're, we began by Paul giving all of the things about Jesus and saying this is all the things he does for us. Therefore, remember we talked about that. It's the first half of Ephesians versus the second half. Therefore, what Jesus did for us, therefore, we must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In other words, we can no longer live unrestrained lives. We can no longer live a different way of living. Our pursuits are no longer for selfish desires, but for God. And today's passage continues the therefore. Because of God, every, everything God has done for us and because we don't live unrestrained lives, because we have taken off the old self and put on the new Christ, because of those things, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we, we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on you while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. 
and on to the next. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. I think we've all heard this one, right? But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul is addressing the transformations that are evident in the believer's life. It doesn't address every single thing, but it gives a foundation for what a believer's life looks like. And you may be scratching your head wondering, haven't we already covered this? <laughs> well, remember last time, a couple weeks ago, this particular portion of scripture was so dense. I said, let's just take a few weeks to get through this. So we have started it, but we haven't finished it yet. Uh, two weeks ago, we stopped with verse 27. Today, we're going to pick back up with verse 28. And you remember last time we talked about truth and righteousness, that it's important to be honest and to be people full of integrity, to put off falsehood. And that way our witness for Christ will be evident to people around us. In regards to righteousness, Paul approaches it from the idea of being angry. He recognizes that anger is a spiritual condition. He encourages us not to be angry because when we're angry, we give the devil a foothold. And some of you have had that happen. Something makes you mad. Somewhere somebody offends you. Something happens in your life. You get angry. And then you let that anger sit there. And it just grows. And it becomes more. Paul says you're giving the devil a foothold when that happens and encourages us against that. And in the later part, he says, remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of darkness. When anger creeps into your life, don't take it as this is um, the anger is, is uh, sitting there and I just need to be angry about it. Remember that there's the devil's at work somewhere and your fight is not against that person. But your fight is against the devil. And, and remember that being a Christian is not a political movement. And being a Christian is not a social justice program. Being a Christian is a change of mind. It's taking off the old nature, putting on Christ. It's thinking differently. I heard it described like this, like a prisoner who got out of prison but didn't change their prison clothes. They continued to wear their prison clothes and even act like they were a, a prisoner and not a free man. The first thing you would tell that prisoner is, put on some new clothes. You don't have to keep wearing your prison outfit. Put on some new clothes. Paul says that for the Christian, there has to be a break with the past. It's not that Jesus is merely added to your life. Sometimes we act like that. Jesus is added to who we, to our lives. But Paul's saying you got to break with it. You got to take off the old. You got to turn your back on that and become an entirely new thing, person. So today we're going to pick up with generosity. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. First he addresses stealing. Remember last time he talked about integrity. So this is 
something that we really need to pay attention to. So what does God say about stealing? Stealing is one of those things that has made its way into the top 10 list. The Ten Commandments, right? Number eight of the 10, you shall not steal. Apparently, stealing is a major problem for the sin nature. And God is poking a hole in the sin nature when he tells us, do not steal. There's this deep-rooted thing within us to take things that don't belong to us. Some of you are sitting there saying, no, that's not me. I'm never going to rob a bank. <laughs> I've never broke into somebody's home and stolen something that wasn't mine. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I was uh, thinking of my, any of you have siblings? I don't know if you have siblings, grown siblings, walk into the house and I'm like, wait a minute, that's mine from when I was a kid. I think I'll take that with me when I leave. <laughs> I don't think any of us are breaking into homes or robbing banks, but stealing is more than violent acts. It really has become as common as not telling the truth. There was a paper given to the American Psychological Association Symposium. So the American, Psycholo American Psychological Association had a symposium. Somebody there presented a paper. And they were talking about uh, the $8 billion of inventory shortages that happens annually. Think about that number, $8 billion of inventory shortages that happen annually. So what they determined was that of those losses, 10% is clerical error, 30% is shoplifting, and 60%, that's $16 million a day, is theft by employee. 60% of the $8 billion of inventory shortages are employee theft. That's, that's a lot, right? We know that stealing is a bad thing, but we've got to think about what areas of our life are we stealing? Maybe that we thought, well, that's okay. That, that's a theft that's okay. That's not, it's not really a theft. It's just a, you know, it's just this one little thing. Uh, and we can read the scriptures, Romans 13, 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. If you're loving people, then those aren't going to be things you do. And Proverbs is full of things about honesty and integrity. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. I read this week that psychologists don't believe that people steal out of need for the most part. They believe people steal out of greed. It's keeping up with the Joneses. It's wanting what somebody else has. People feel the need to steal because they don't have what their neighbor has. And you probably have seen it. It's just in our society, we're seeing these smash and grabs, right? You've seen a lot of talk about the smash and just run in and grab it. Um, identity theft has become a really big deal. Uh, people are looting stores. People are dis dishonestly reporting work hours. The opportunity for dishonest gain, th those opportunities are endless. And it really gets to the issue of integrity. Doing the right thing 
when no one's looking. And this is how somebody takes off the old and puts on the new. Because lives are our lives are lives that are lived in honesty. And here's when I was, wasn't, I don't know, I, I always get a little weird talking about this, but I do need to say that there is a lot about not stealing from God. In Malachi, one of the scriptures, probably most famously that everybody talks about, Malachi is a prophet. People say, how are you stealing? How are we stealing from God? And God says, when you don't give your tithe and your offering, it's stealing from God. I'm slow to speak to this, but honestly, it shouldn't be that way. I just, I don't want to make people mad at me. Just so you know, whatever the tithes are in this today, I don't get a bonus. Like, it's not like if I can drive up the tithes, I'm going to get a bonus at the end of the year. That's not what happens. Like, I'm on a, I'm on a salary package. I get a, I get a, you know, and I think people have that idea that, oh, well, the pastor, he's after it again. Need some more money. Trying to get that boat. Jesus spoke of possessions more than any other topic, just so you know. 11 of his 39 parables were on possessions. Jesus understood, God understands, that for people, possessions and money are very important. I read a story about a, a, a kid that was under a missionary's care in Africa and uh, the African missionary had been teaching the children about their tithe and those kind of things. And so uh, one day the child ran up to his, uh, the missionary and he gave him a fish and said, hey, Mr. Missionary, this is my tithe, the fish. And the missionary was like, well, you know, he's getting it. And he looks around, he says, well, where's your other fish? He says, well, the other nine are back in the water. I got to go get them. <laughs> He brought the one. And understand that God asks us to give not only to support the ministry and advancing his kingdom. And I say it a lot whenever I talk about offerings and tithes. We are a partnership together advancing the kingdom of God. And it does take money. And especially in our world, we have advertising. We have all these things and events that we put on and, and those things. But it's not only for that. It is so that God knows that he is more important than money. It is our way of saying, you know what, God, you're the most important. In fact, you're so important to me that I'm going to give you a portion back. But listen, no matter how small or insignificant we characterize thievery, let's recognize what God thinks about it. If you look in John 10.10, Jesus calls Satan a thief. We don't want to be mentioned in the same breath as Satan. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 6.10 that a thief cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Again, someone who has taken off the old self and put on Christ is just going to live differently. Going to live a life characterized by integrity. A life that demonstrates the transformation that has happened in our lives and in our hearts. It's just a two-point message today. Here's a second one. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. 
We're talking about gracious speech. The word that is, the Greek word for unwholesome here is uh, the, the Greek word sapros. And it means rotten or worthless or bad. Um, it's, it's used in terms of things that are just no good, uh, that can be thrown off or thrown away or sloughed off. So what God's, or what Paul's trying to say here is don't speak that way. Like don't use that kind of language. Matthew 12, 34 says, uh, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. When I read that in the NIV, I was like, that doesn't sound right. Because I grew up hearing out of the abundance of the heart or something like that, the mouth speaketh, I think is how it's phrased. So what's in your heart, in other words, and this is the title of today's message, what's in there is going to come out. So when you speak, what you're speaking is what's in your heart. And listen, we don't need a list of scripture to speak of the dangers of our words. But I want you to know that the way you speak is a representation of the work of God in your life. So think about not only the words that you say. I mean, are we talking about cussing? Or are we talking about conversation? Or are we talking about both? It's not only the words you say. It's the way you speak. It's more than just cuss words. Listen, divisive speech is unwholesome. One of the most dangerous forms of speech in the church is gossip. And there's no space or place for gossip. And there's been times in my life that I've been embarrassed at how people in the church speak about each other. I don't like it. You got to think about that before you speak. What change has happened in your life? And when you speak, is what you're saying representing who Jesus is? A stock boy at a grocery store um, was approached by a lady and she asked him if she could buy a half a head of lettuce. <laughs> half a head of lettuce. And he says, uh... It's a new one on me. I don't know. Let me go ask the manager. So he walks to the manager. He didn't realize she was following him. He walks to the manager. He opens the door. He says, hey, uh, Mr. Manager, this old bag out here wants to buy half a head of lettuce. And, and I'm not sure what to do. And he turns around and he sees her behind him. And he says, but this fine young lady would like to buy the other half. <laughs> you never know who you're going to be speaking to or who's going to hear or Paul says instead of that kind of language how about we build each other up uh, Dr. Porter I wish he was here today he told a story one time that has impacted me years ago I don't know if you know uh, Jerry Porter we don't talk about it very often he's a retired general superintendent just actually retired from the mission field so he retired from being a general superintendent which is like CEO of the whole church and then he he retired early so he could go be a missionary he and his wife in a a, a uh, creative access country and then he just retired from that actually this past Sunday was his first Sunday back I think or second after retiring selling all of his stuff from their apartment moving back here anyway so he's the, actually the general superintendent who presided over my ordination also in 2006 and so I've always had this connection with him but he told a story one time that about somebody that he was at odds with and maybe I'll ask him to tell the story to us someday 
when he was a missionary in uh, South America. And this guy was saying things about him and he would tell this guy, you know, whoever said, well, I think this. And um, he realized that what he was doing was divisive. It wasn't good. So the next time that somebody came to talk to him about what this guy said, he changed the narrative and began to speak good things, kind things about that guy. And he calls it a third party compliment. And after he started doing that, their relationship changed. They became friends and friendly and not having a, being at odds with each other. And I just think, wouldn't it be great if we as a church were just full of people and so full of the love and grace of God that everybody's talking nice about everybody and third party compliments are everywhere and compliments to each other are everywhere. I just like that would be such a great way for our church to exist. And when somebody would come and say, I can't believe, did you know so-and-so did? Oh man, I just love them. Like, aren't they the best? I mean, maybe they made it, it's fine, but you know, they're just good. Oh, you don't know what's going on in their life. Like, let's change the narrative of the way that we speak because our speech should build others up, not tear them down. And it's more than empty compliments. It's just the way we talk. Be helpful, be encouraging, be instructive, be uplifting. And sometimes it's correcting. We always have to rely on the word of God though. I read this quote this week. Cold words freeze people. Hot words scorch them. And bitter words make them bitter. People are going to reply or respond the way that you are. Wrathful words make them wrathful. However, kind words also produce their image on men's souls. And a beautiful image it is. They smooth and quiet and comfort the hearer. Speak things that are appropriate for the occasion. Don't say something that later you wish you could take back. Also bathe everything you say with grace. Words have power. You know, when I was a kid, they used to say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Y'all remember that? That was a lie. Because <laughs> words hurt, man. Words are painful. Words have led to everything from divorce to war. If Jesus is God's word made flesh, then what does that tell us about God's word? So let your word be a great witness for God. Just think about that. If Jesus is God's word made flesh, that was God's witness to us. What is your witness about God to others? There's a, there's a lot of hard teaching in here. We're done and Bruno's gonna come up. I, I say hard teaching. I think it's things that we know and things that, that we've learned. But I just think if we want revival in this church, then we're gonna be a church full of people whose lives demonstrate the change that has happened in our hearts. The Holy Spirit will be manifest in our presence through love and peace. To think of the fruits of the Spirit, kindness, graciousness, gracefulness, gentleness, self-control. Like the fruits of the Spirit are going to be evident. God's Spirit, God's presence will be manifest in those ways. And then we're not only a kind church, but we're a loving church. And we're in an environment that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. I just think it's awesome. 
I still can't get over. I read about a revival that happened in Fiji. And this revival, the Holy Spirit was poured out so much that God's kingdom was literally coming to earth, which we believe the end times is. In Revelation, it teaches that. But that God's kingdom was coming to earth in such a way that not only were lives changed, but the land was changed. They began to have crops of fruit that was twice as much as it otherwise was, not only in quantity, but grapes that were huge and strawberries that were bigger than normal. And because God's presence changes everything it touches. And that's what we want here. So I just encourage you today, think about those things. What are, are we being people of honesty and integrity? How are we speaking? Let's take God's kingdom with us everywhere we go. God, this morning we are so grateful for who you are in our lives, for the change that has happened. And you know, it's easy to stand up here and talk about it. And I've, we've talked about it together. I have talked with some here and there's been conversation about the change that has happened in your life and in our lives. It's easy to talk about. But sometimes in life, man, the enemy, he's, you said it, it's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Sometimes he tempts us to say things that we shouldn't say. Sometimes we're tempted to act in ways that are less than honest. Forgive us for those times that those things happen. And Holy Spirit, would you just continue the change that you began? Help us to understand what it means to take off the old and put on Jesus, the Holy Spirit, so that we can be who you've called us to be, to live lives.